0: So once again, welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church. My name is Dave Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're here. Today is going to be a rocket sled ride through 1 Samuel. And I'd like to draw your attention. Each week we kind of highlight some of the resources that we have. This week I'd like to highlight the note sheet. And just to show you that we do listen to some of your feedback... We've received some comments that, like, David, I have no idea what your slide has to do with the notes. So I've made a slight improvement. So what you will see when we advance to the slides, I put a little indicator up there. It says notes. So if it says notes in the top corner of the slide, that means there's probably something that you are going to fill out um, on your sheets. If there's nothing there, then you can resume scrolling on your, I mean, listening to me share my message. Step two, if this becomes too difficult, I will underline the words that need to be filled in on the blanks. This will be a test for me and for you. I am super excited about this message today and you can probably tell that because it's four pages of notes. There is an answer key on the back so if you get to the end and you still can't figure out, hopefully you will be able to see that. I did double check it to make sure that the answers match up with the blanks and so let's get started first of all let's talk about so we're doing a biblical review and the purpose of our biblical review is we want to blaze through the entire bible in about a year and a half and we'll take breaks for things for for special occasions and things like that but we're covering one book a week and we started back in october and uh, we will finish sometime i think in early sometime in mid 2024 which is pretty amazing so the goal here is for us to just to immerse ourselves in scripture to increase our biblical literacy and to really appreciate God's word, and hopefully it will spur you. Obviously, we can't go into the depths and the details of every single book, but I pray that for myself and for you, this will be an incentive for you to something. Will, you'll hear this and you're like, I've got to read that. Man, it's been years since I've read this passage. I need to go back and think about this. I need to go back and meditate on this. So I encourage you, encourage you. So, how to get the most from this series? One, it's simple. One, read the book being covered. Either before or after, you know what's coming up. We publish it in the Ace. You know what book's coming up. So just take some time and read. Take some time and read through the book before or after the message. And see what the Lord shares with you. I might guarantee you he will give you an insight that uh, that's either, either reinforces or maybe even something of variation. Or something that I missed as I've gone through. And that would be encouraging. I would love to hear your thoughts and questions that you have afterwards. Another thing you should do, because this is a good way to reinforce what you've learned, is share what you've learned with another person. You know where an awesome place to share with other people is? Where's an awesome place to share with other people? Life Life group! We have amazing life groups. And I'm very pleased to say that just about every single person in our fellowship is part of a life group. And that's a key part of your walk with the Lord. It's a key part of you being a part of this community is to be involved in the life groups. And you can share, even if the life group is not... Some, some life groups, they talk about the message. That's their, that's their topic. You don't have, I'm not saying you have to do that, but someone can say, hey, can I share one thing that I learned? Can I share one insight that I had from 1 uh, first, first Samuel, Second Samuel, whatever, whatever it's going to be in, in the weeks ahead. And then last but not least, the most important thing is we all must obey what you learn. If the Lord moves your heart, which I pray he will, then we're going to pray that in just a moment, obey. If it's, if it's simple, obey it quickly. If it's really complicated and really hard, ask him for help. Share your burden with those around you and ask for help to obey. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. You are awesome. You gave us your word. You gave us these amazing characters and people and stories and truth in the Old Testament, Lord, to guide our lives, to guide our eyes towards Jesus. Pray my heart would be soft. Pray each of our hearts would be soft as we receive your word. God, make it come alive to us. Spirit, Spirit, make it come alive to us. Amen. A quick comment here. I just want to draw some contrast. I'm just going to go through this quickly, but I'd like you to think about this. This contrast between the Testaments and something you should have already seen in the couple of months that we've been through here in the Old Testament. The Old Testament theme, the Old Testament style is there are intercessors between us and God. Prophets, judges, patriarchs, and kings. And our nationality, our association with God is is it's tribal, it's national, primarily focused through the Hebrew people. And there is a revelation of God's truth through his law. Contrast this to the New Testament. We have a direct relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A direct relationship. Our spiritual identity is no longer that we're part of a specific nation or tribe, but Jesus shattered those boundaries through the Holy Spirit and allows all of mankind to become part of his family. The gospel's for everyone. And there's a revelation of grace as opposed to a revelation of law. These things are not in competition with one another. The Old Testament sets up the New Testament. But this is something I'd like you to keep these things in mind as we're going through. I'd be curious to hear your comments on this. So, 1 Samuel. Let's Let's take a quick look at the timeline here. Just provide some dates for context. So about 250 years of judges, um, which uh, Pastor Dave DeGloge did a great job talking about. And Samuel covers a much smaller period of time than most of the previous books. There's a lot happening in this era. This is Samuel, Saul, and David, the launch of the United Kingdom and then the divided kingdom of Israel. Samuel was the last judge and the first prophet He was also a priest. And this is is Israel's transition from theocracy to monarchy, which is what we're going to see today in 1 Samuel. The structure of the book, ministry of Samuel, the reign of Saul, the rise of David, David in the wilderness, and the very painful finale of this book. So let's get kicked off here. The ministry of Samuel, chapters 1 through 8. Samuel was called by God, and his call was preceded by his mother's grief and faithfulness. Hannah, his mother, was childless, and that was a hard thing. It's a hard thing in any era. It was very hard then as well. And she had a very rough ride. One of two wives from her husband, Elkanah, and the other wife had children, and she taunted Hannah mercilessly taunted her for not having any children. So add that to the grief of being childless, being mocked for it. And her husband, very unhelpfully, though very relatably I can say, he came to her and said, aren't I better to you than 10 sons? Ladies, how much help would that be? If you're going through a tough time and your husband basically says, well, you got me, boom! Just picture the door slamming in your face. And then she goes to temple to pray, praying and pouring her heart out to the Lord. And the priest, the pastor, do me a favor, Stella, bow your head. Act like you're praying silently. Move your lips as if you're talking to the Lord. It's like, Stella, are you drunk? (laughs) She wipes away her tears and says, I'm not drunk. So she's got all these things against her, all these things against her. And then you know what she does? Eli finally comes to his senses. The the priest at the time finally comes to his senses and he blesses her. And she kind of goes like this. She goes, Lord, it's yours. And she goes home, having cast her burden upon the Lord. Just an amazing story of faith. She is the foundational character. She launches the the series. She is Samuel's mother. She starts all this. It's just an inspiring story, which I, I hope one day we can expand on that because her example of faith of genuine grief, genuine casting, and genuine follow-through. And it's it's such an inspiring story for each one of us. So Samuel is born, and he's given over to the temple as a servant, as a Nazarite. And his mother brings him a coat every year as he grows up. And as a young man, a little boy, he is called by God. And he is called basically out of his room. God calls to him, Samuel! Comes to Eli and says, you call me? And he says, nope, I didn't call you. Go back and Go back to bed. And then the Lord calls him again. Samuel! And he comes out again, and he's listening, and he says, Eli finally figures out, okay, this is God calling you. The next time someone calls you, say, Lord, I'm listening. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. And, Sam, and the Lord calls him again. Samuel! And Samuel says, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Which is an amazing, it's an amazing display of heart, and it's something that we should imitate. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, too. Samuel grows up, he, the Lord is with him, he has a genuine connection to the Lord, he has a genuine leadership, but it's still a rough time for the Israelites. The Israelites are defeated by the Philistines. We joke around and we say in Sunday school, if you, if you don't know the answer to the question in Sunday school, when you're talking about the New Testament, just say what? Jesus, and you're in good shape. If you don't know the answer to the question about Sunday school in the Old Testament, if you say Philistines, you're not going to be far off, because they feature a lot in the Old Testament. The Philistines defeat Israel, and they steal the ark. They carry the ark back, and they stick it in their temple, and they like, start decorating it with all their pagan things, and all their pagan things get destroyed. And so the Philistines are like, if they don't fear God, they're at least somewhat superstitious, and they don't want this thing that's destroying their gods and their temples, and they send it back home. They put it on this, this ox cart and they send it back into Jewish territory, Israel Jewish territory. And the Jews very reverently take it and treat the ark the way they're supposed to. Right? Wrong. They mistreat the ark. Now, like 30,000 of them die, more died because they mistreated the ark than because they were defeated by the Philistines. It's just brutal. The ark was misused. God's holiness is real. He doesn't tolerate it from the pagans. He doesn't tolerate it from us either, his people. So they eventually set the ark up, and it stayed there for a very long time. And I think they were just afraid to do anything, and God didn't kill any more people, so they left it where it was sitting, and they just left it there for like twenty or thirty years. And to Samuel's credit, he, as he continued to lead the people of Israel, there was there was a period of stability. He lived a long time. He was a young man when he came to the temple; just a little kid. He was old when he he interacted with Saul. So there was a period of stability for Israel under Samuel's leadership. And he was an effective judge, an effective prophet, an effective priest. And that period of peace and stability gets about two verses in this book, if you notice. Because it says Samuel was respected, and then it says Samuel was an old man. So it was like... You know there if it bleeds, it leads right, so the exciting stuff gets covered in detail and all the boring and all the boring, safe, productive things are glossed over in this book. But after that period of stability, Israel asked for a king. Israel asked for a king. We often wonder why Israel asked for a king, and something to highlight like usually we're like bad Israel, bad Israel, you asked for a king, you asked for a king and it wasn't what God wanted for them. But looking at it from their eyes of flesh and not their eyes of faith, which they should have had, you can kind, of, kind of look at some of the things that may have influenced their decision. Samuel was getting old. Eli and the priest and his sons had died. Eli was negligent. His sons were just flat out wicked. So they had a, the, the people of Israel had seen a failure of leadership in the priestly line. And even for Samuel, it says that his sons... Weren't that good. They took bribes. So when they got old, they're like, well, who's going to secede Samuel? You know, Eli was an idiot. Samuel is great. We love him, but he's getting old. He's not going to be with us forever. His sons are not trustworthy. They've been defeated in wars before, and they're just flat out confused by this ark thing. He's been sitting, thankfully not killing anybody here for a couple of decades. So from a fleshly point of view, as I was thinking about this, I kind of get it why Israel wanted a king. No clear leadership. Spiritual confusion. Defeat by the people around them. Now, if they hadn't wandered off in the first place, these things wouldn't have been that clear, but I kind of get it why they asked for a king. It still wasn't God's will for them, but I think that's their perspective on the matter. That's a brief of Samuel's ministry. Some notable characters in Samuel's life i already covered Hannah a little bit. Um, She casts her burden upon the Lord. Definitely encourage you. Especially if you feel like you're going through a tough time, read the first couple of chapters of Samuel, and really absorb the lesson that Hannah is teaching all of us. Eli was Samuel's mentor. His negligence, his negligence led to he had a careless life, careless spiritual life, and he did not raise his sons to fear God, and they were evil. In fact, he kind of reminded me. He kind of reminded me of um, Lot. Lot was supposed to be this godly man. He's even praised in the New Testament as a godly man. He lived in the midst of this wickedness and lived a compromised life in the midst of this wickedness. And then Saul, who we're going to cover next, he was the great disappointment of Samuel's life. He was Israel's king, and Samuel was not happy that Israel asked for a king. Maybe Samuel felt like this was maybe evidence of his failure of leadership. My failure. They need a king because I haven't led them the way they ought Not only that, after he was recognized as king, Saul was disobedient and rebellious, greedy, as we're going to see. And then downright dangerous at the end of his life. These are some of the notable characters, people that influenced Samuel. The reign of Saul, chapters 9 through 15. Israel demands a king. Samuel anoints Saul. He didn't get off to a great start. He came looking for a donkey. And Samuel said, hey, you're going to be the king of Israel. And when they called Israel together to to anoint him as king, they couldn't find him because he was hiding in the baggage. So not a great start to your coronation ceremony if you're actually hiding in the baggage. Samuel anoints Saul as king and then warns Israel. As long as you obey the Lord, as long as this guy obeys the Lord, the Lord's going to bless you. You wander off and there's going to be problems. Israel's heard this over the last 400 years since they left Egypt numerous times, and they listen for a little while, and then they forget. Samuel warned Israel of the consequences of forsaking God. So after Saul became the king, he had some initial military successes against the Ammonites, the Philistines, and the Canaanites. And his character was revealed under the stresses of being king, the responsibilities of leadership. His lack of godliness, his lack of preparation, his lack of relationship with God showed through, and his failures became evident almost immediately. He was insecure. He was impatient. He made foolish oaths that just about got his son killed. And he was greedy regarding Amalek and the Amalekites. All these things, they weren't exactly tests that he failed, but they were life occasions that proved what he was made of and his lack of foundation in the Lord, his lack of fear of God. And ultimately, not even halfway through the book, the Lord rejects Saul as being king. And let's read that passage. 1 Samuel 15, verse 11, if you want to open with me. Old Testament, 1 Samuel, chapter 15, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. The Lord regrets making him king. Saul's blatant failure. Samuel's regret and pain, having watched him fail so publicly. Saul's failure include, again, as we said, fear, insecurity, greed, He wants to take the loot from the cities that he he conquers rather than give everything to the Lord. I mean, we saw a couple weeks ago, Achan, God judged the entire nation of Israel because Achan took like one thing and hid it in his tent. Saul took the entire loot of a city. And then when he was rejected, he displayed hypocrisy. He says, Samuel says, you've been rejected And Saul said, okay, that's fine, I'm rejected, but how about if you stand up here with me anyway and talk to the people so I don't look bad? He incurred judgments, and he was flat out disobedient. So who are some of the notable characters in Saul's life? Well, we have Jonathan, David, and the witch of Endor. Oh, sorry, not that Endor. Jonathan, David, and the witch of Endor. So Jonathan's his son. He did not trust his own son. He accused his own son of being disloyal. Saul recruited David. He needed David. Especially, he took him, a, it was an opportunity when, um, when David came and basically saved his bacon from the Philistines, as we're going to see in a few minutes. But then immediately allowed his jealousy and insecurity towards David to overwhelm him. And then at the end of his life, Saul sank into sin and depravity, and ultimately broke his own laws because God had abandoned him. And Saul was desperately knew he needed divine guidance, but God was no longer talking to him. So he went and sought guidance from a, a witch, a woman who called up the dead. We'll hear more about that, too, because that didn't go the way he expected. So, after Saul's rejection, God selected David. Interesting to note, as he selected David, Samuel was baffled. He, he wasn't like, okay, this is the guy, can't wait to get the right guy up on the stage here. It took going through all of Jesse's sons to realize that the guy that God wanted wasn't even in the group. Samuel was baffled by this too. But he finds the right guy, he calls David in from the field, he anoints him, and that's just the start of a very long path for David. It wasn't like you're anointed, now you're king, everything's going to be smooth. David had a very rough path ahead of him. David came to serve Saul. Saul was afflicted by an evil spirit. God's rejected him. And Saul is afflicted by evil spirits. And he recruits David to come and help him at his court. When he comes and plays music and soothes Saul's heart. Which was good. Then of course is the iconic story of David defeating Goliath. And he didn't defeat Goliath through his sling. He defeated Goliath through his faith David's eyes were on the Lord in that battle. He was incensed that the Philistines were insulting Israel. He was incensed that the Philistines were insulting God. And he ran into battle against Goliath because of his faith in God, not because of his martial ability. After that, Saul took David into his service as a commander. And then what was perhaps the shortest honeymoon period... In the period of history, things got dicey almost immediately. 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 8. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns in Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry think he's already an insecure person he's already been rejected by god and now the guy that he brought on board to save his bacon is being publicly praised this is not a recipe for a smooth relationship and things got ugly at this point forward saul displayed suspicion and even says he had dread regarding david scripture says that saul reigned for 32 years most of that time was painful and, and sin and disobedience for him it had to be excruciating. Like I said, things go downhill for David. Saul immediately starts trying to kill David by throwing spears at him. He's driven by jealousy and evil spirits. Unfortunately, he even descended to the point David is fleeing. He seeks refuge from a priest. And the priest feeds him, gives him information, gives him the sword of Goliath. And Saul kills the priests and their families who helped David. 1 Samuel 22:16 16 through 18. Saul talking to Ahimelech, the priest. You will surely die, Ahimelech, along with your entire family. The king shouted, and he ordered his bodyguards, Kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. You know, a standard statement of leadership is influence. Give a direct instruction to the people that are supposed to be following you and they refuse to obey you. You're doing something wrong. It's to the credit of these men that they refuse to do it, but there's always one in the bunch. And the king turned to his chief shepherd, a guy named Doeg, and he said, You do it. You do it. And he did it. And Doeg went crazy. And killed scores of people and attacked the town that they were in. Great evil that Saul been, is sinking to. If we're ever tempted to feel sorry for Saul, it's things like that that should wipe that out of our mind. So, Saul was unsuccessful in his attempts to kill David. And why is that? Who is he fighting against? Who is he fighting against? David? Samuel? Who? He's fighting against God. That's why he was unsuccessful. David's journeys continue. David is fleeing. He has a chance to kill Saul and spares him. And eventually he's tired and Saul says, oh, I'm so sorry. Why don't you come back here and things will be fine. And David says, sure, wait right there. And then went the other way out into the wilderness. So David in the wilderness, chapters 22 to 27. So David attracts followers in the wilderness. He is leading his men out in the wilderness, and he's, he's like Robin Hood and the Merry Men. They are they're fighting. They're not like necessarily nice people, but they're not evil. And one day he sends his crew to um, a man, a very rich man who he'd been protecting, and says, hey, how about if you share some food with us? And the guy says, get out of here. I don't even know who you are. He knew who he was. And David... Spares him. He was first angry. He was going to go back and attack him. And his name is Nabal. He was married to a woman named Abigail. He, David sends a party to wipe him out. And Abigail intercedes and appeals to David and reminds him not to put more, more blood on his hands. And allow God to fight his battles. And David had the humility to listen to her counsel. So here's another example of a woman who had wisdom that influenced someone that was powerful and that was eventually going to be the king. As a reward, her husband died, and her reward was to become David's wife, third wife. Again, we're seeing here some, some of the seeds are planted, future problems that David's going to have. David spares Saul again out in the wilderness, and he finally gives up. He says, enough is enough. Enough is enough. I'm going to go, and I'm going to ally myself with the Philistines. His name was Akesh. He was of Gath. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the contrast here between David and Saul. And this, I think, is part of the, the reason I'm super excited to talk about this message and cover this book today. David passed his tests. He had a lot against him. Saul failed almost all of his tests. Why? Why? The answer is because David sought the Lord. So, what's the application for our life? You know, sometimes we look at scripture and we say, How does this apply to me? What am I supposed to get out of this? And then I look at this passage, and to me, this screams in my face. The application seems so self evident. Maybe it's not the same for you today, but I trust that there's a point in your life when you're reading his word and he just screams in your face where your hair is going back. Lord, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And to me, this is one of those moments. The contrast in how we respond to our wilderness moments. The contrast in how we respond to our trials. They were the same for David and for Saul. Saul testing, pain, uncertainty, testing, pain, uncertainty, David responded in faith. Saul responded in fear. And for David, the result was godliness, toughness, and wisdom. And for Saul, his fear left a suspicion, disobedience, and hatred. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you can go through a tough time, it doesn't necessarily make you a better person. It depends on how you respond. And you need your response needs to be towards the Lord. Lord, help me. And I'm not saying you've got to conjure the strength from within yourself, because Lord knows I don't have those strengths, but a simple, desperate prayer of "Lord, help me." Like the man said to Jesus, "Help my unbelief. It's an acceptable prayer. What's not as acceptable is it's not fair. I hate this, I reject it. I'm not taking it. That difference in our hearts is what makes the difference as we walk through the tough times in our life. This streams in my face. I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, each one of you. Each one of you either has something you're going through right this moment or something you've been through in the past that's really so hard to bear. Are you going to seek the Lord and tell him I'll... Un- Either A, say, Lord, I trust you, or say, Lord, I don't know how to trust you, or Lord, something, Lord, something, or are you just going to fight it and hate it and reject it and be selfish and greedy? Don't do the second one. Do the first one. The painful finale. The painful finale. Saul is ultimately cut off from God, and he consults the witch, as we mentioned before. Saul receives prophecy of death from Samuel, who comes up from the grave and tells him, you're going to die tomorrow. Think about that when you see the tarot card things on the side of the road. Pray for those people. David is dismissed from the Philistine army by God's grace. And he goes back and avenges his own hometown, which had been sacked. Another great story, which we don't have time to dive into. And then immediately after David is Dismissed from the Philistine army, the Philistines come and they kill him. They kill him and his sons, including Jonathan, who was a decent guy. What a painful, disappointing end. And once again, it's all too easy for us to condemn these Old Testament characters. What I would rather that I do, and I'd rather that you do, is reflect on your own life with humility. Abigail told David, Reflect. Think. Think. Anyone ever see the movie Moonstruck? The wife said to her husband, think, Cosmo, think. Reflect. Take those painful lessons, those people, the failures, and reflect on your own life with humility. Be inspired and be thankful for the positive examples like Hannah and Abigail and David and Samuel and Jonathan. But ultimately, be sober before a just and holy God who's very patient. Oh my gosh, so patient. But he's holy, and he has a right to call us to judgment. He has a right to call us to judgment like that, young or old. Notable characters in David's life, Goliath. Quick point here. Goliath was not a test for David. Goliath was proof of David's heart, not a test of his faith. David had already developed his character before that point. Don't ask for a Goliath-sized test in your life. Don't ask for it. If you're not preparing yourself beforehand to pass the test. So what is God preparing you for? Jonathan influenced David. He was a God-fearing man who made the best of an impossible situation. His father trying to kill him, trying to protect his best friend. Accused. Suffered. And he kept his faith. He kept his optimism. He kept his fear of God. And then Abigail, of course, as I mentioned, she appealed to David's character, which was already present. She reminded him to not put blood on his hands. Scarlet thread, briefly. Scarlet thread is how does the Old Testament point forward to Jesus? Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving in Samuel chapter 1 is an echo of Mary's magnificat, where she thanks God for his blessing on her. Hannah said, my heart exalts in the Lord. Samuel was a judge, a prophet, and a priest. 1 Samuel 2.35, God said, I will raise up a faithful priest. Jesus is the faithful priest that's being raised up. And then finally, David's heart, 1 Samuel 16.7, Samuel the Lord looks at the hearts. The Lord looks at the hearts. Key verses from Samuel's life. Speak, your servant is listening. How is your heart? you listen to God? if you are you ever quiet enough in your life whether you're at home at a desk or cooking or driving or or is there ever a time when you're quiet and you listen and you say speak your servant is listening i pray you will and then be silent and listen to what he's saying as you meditate on his word from saul's life key verse obedience is better than sacrifice it was samuel's rebuke to saul It's a a reminder that, like Saul, sometimes we choose to sin in spite of revelation and specific command. Each of us must choose to avoid, to obey God's voice. Saul ran out of time. I pray that none of you will run out of time. Key verses for David. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's honestly one of the most important verses in Scripture. The world screams in our face to judge things superficially, to judge things by contemporary standards. And God says, judge things by eternal standards. Judge things by eternal and internal standards. Questions to ponder is the application point. Some questions, I don't have an answer for this one because you need to answer these questions. What area are you being tested in? How have you prepared yourself previously to be successful in that area? And if you haven't done that yet, what can you do now? The good news is you don't have to fight that fight by yourself. If you need help, ask those who know you best and love you most how you can prepare yourself for difficult circumstances. Next question is, when do you listen to God? When do you slow down enough, meditate on his words, seek his face, Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And last but not least, who is influencing you towards faith? Who is an Abigail in your life that's influencing you to make good decisions? Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. Your word is amazing. These characters are amazing. I pray, Father, that I would follow my own advice and learn from the people who fail and be inspired by the people who succeed. Father, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to please you. And I know through Christ that I am pleasing to you. My sins are forgiven, but I want to serve you. I want to bear fruit for you. I want to be used by you to bless the people in my life, God. Prepare my heart. Open my eyes. Give me your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.